Together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dude, 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 everyone out in internet land and welcome to the legion of dudes podcast i'm your host and illustrious uh, dude here jim i'm joined tonight by uh, ken and johnny m and russell say hello gentlemen hello gentlemen hello, hello. and uh we're dispensing with our normal uh, dissection and literary criticism of uh graphic novels tonight to have kind of a general talk about the state of the comics industry and uh, our place in it as comic fans and how we feel about that basically going to be like a round table bs kind of comic copia type uh situation tonight right guys is that that's what we're looking for that here? was very clever comic copia if it was if it was Thanks. jeopardy it would be potpourri <laughs> potpourri <laughs> I tell you, I needed this one. The uh, the in depth discussions have run amok. You know, we we did some movie stuff, which was great, and we, we've done the uh, New Frontier and some other books, and it's just kind of like a grind. Sometimes it's nice to just kick back and say what's up to you guys without having to come up with smart things to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, no no chance of that this episode. We don't have to have anything smart at all. Um, plus, I, I we be stupid. I, uh, it's cool for me too because I know uh, we come from a lot of different places in the comic spectrum, so it's really cool to you know hear what you guys are reading and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, why don't we start off tonight by just kind of going around the horn and talking about uh, what we uh, what we're reading right now, what we uh, what we've read that we liked recently. Uh, Johnny, you want to start us off? Sure. I picked up a couple of the Kurt Busick Conan trades, the Dark Horse stuff. I've been talking to Russ about it a little bit recently. I've been really into Thor because of that book, and it kind of got me into the mood for Frost Giants and, you know, that whole genre of giant snakes and beating down villagers and women scantily clad usually. So I checked out some of those traits, and they're really good. And the the art is really nice. Um, It's kind of like a painted style. I think the artist's name is Nord. I could be wrong. but those Gary Nord? Yes, yes. They're like a lot of fun, you know. They're they're like three or four issue story arcs. Conan basically rides into town, and something bad is going on, and he straightens it out, and then he leaves town. It's kind of like the old Hulk TV show, you know. Like he just kind of shows up, trying to mind his own business. Things go badly, and he ends up leaving to sad music. And it's cool. I, I've been having fun with not, you know, like just kind of turning my brain off and reading that stuff. Like I said, Thor has been really good. Um, I've been reading War Machine by Greg Pak. That's been really good. It's kind of replaced Iron Man for me for now since Iron Man kind of went on hiatus. And I know he has the Fraction book, which I'm reading in trade, so I'm a little behind on that. What else? 
I'm looking forward to the Dark Horse stuff from you know what I read the free comic book day issues that have been sitting around and I read the Aliens and Predator uh number zero. Are you guys gonna be picking up the, the issues when those come out or is that kinda like a wait for a trade thing or not interested or I'm gonna get the <clears throat> the issues when they come out. I thought about waiting for trade, but on something like that I'm I'm really interested in kind of supporting it to help it to keep going. So so I'm going to try it out in, in monthlies and, and try and stick with that. Yeah, I'm huge on Predator and Alien, so I'm going to check the both of those out. You know what else I read from Free Comic Book Day? And I think, I think Russ has mentioned before that he reads it. I read that Atomic Robo. Man, I laughed yeah. like my ass off. Like, I'm going, to, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look for some of those trades now. That was really good. Yeah, the Red Pot stuff in general is pretty good, and Atomic Robo has a nice uh, comedic slant to it, so it's pretty good. And other than that... I'm getting ready for for uh, Blackest Night. I've been trying to catch up on some of the Green Lantern stuff. Uh, I'm definitely going to need help when we get that going. I'm still into Iron Fist big time. I mean, it switched over from Brewbreaker and Fraction to um, Swierinski. Uh, Dwayne Swierinski. Right, right. Swierinski. Um, yes. Well, however, that Irishman... <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that really hasn't missed a beat. I've been pretty happy with Iron Fist, and they're doing these one shots now of the uh, the other Iron Fists from the um, the big tournament story where they had the other world immortal weapons. So they're doing a one shot for each immortal weapon, which is some pretty cool stuff. So I'm still going strongly on that. And other than being like kind of pissed at Batman, that's pretty much it. How did you get? Did you know you guys read the Battle for the Cow, Battle for the uh, Cow stuff? I read the, no. the first two of them, and I, I came right out of R.I.P. I didn't read Bore. Read R.I.P. because I heard like you know it was supposed to be the culmination of everything Morrison's been doing on Batman. So I read that, and I and I liked it. I'm not gonna say I didn't like uh, R.I.P. Um, in its own little you know bottle universe, if you will. But Battle for the Cow, I ended up picking the first two. I have no idea what's going on. I can't really follow what's up, and I'm hearing so much crap about it. I'm like, you know what? I don't need it. I'm, so I'm walking away at, at number two, and we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, if you can <laughs> call it if you can call it a spoiler, I mean, Dan is Batman. So it's kind of like, I, I think when R.I.P. finished, if you asked 100 comic fans who the next Batman would be, you know, 95 of them probably would have said Dick. So I was hoping for a little bit more of a twist. Well, you know... Uh, when I go to conventions, and we'll talk about this stuff as well, my favorite um, panel to go to is on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. It's called Sunday Conversation with Dan DiDio, and it's just a couple guys, just a bunch of guys talking comics. In one panel in New York, it wasn't the same one, but he, uh, someone asked about, you know, if with every crisis, this would be four, final crisis. With every crisis, crisis is bad for flashes. Who are you going to kill off this time? And he's like, no, I think it's actually kind of the opposite this time, right? And, of course, he's referring to Barry Allen. Well, in Philly last year, I was at... Uh, that same panel, and there's this woman, uh, and she's wearing a Nightwing shirt, and he asked a question. Again, this is a year ago, before R.I.P. has even kicked off yet, I think. And he's like, you know, who should be the next Batman if he is, you know, going to die? We don't know. Who is she? And they're going back and forth, and this girl's like, no, please not Nightwing. Please don't let me Nightwing. Please not Nightwing. And he's just like, well, don't get too upset with us, okay? And he's kind of giving all these little hints that leading up to, yes, of course, to- and will become Batman. So if you pay attention to those, those, those uh, conventions, Dan, he knows what he's doing. He lets things slip out where he wants to, and that was definitely one of the, one of the many things he let slip out. So I'm not surprised at all, uh, to get to my point along the way, uh, that that, that is, is Batman, or at least wearing the costume, because we all know Bruce will be back eventually. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised either. After that whole nightfall debacle where, you know, they went through the Azrael, you know, the Azbats thing, and then it all came back to, to being Batman anyway. So when they went through this whole rigmarole again, I didn't see any need to pick up that mini because I knew at the end of it that that's how it was going to play out. The, the buzz I've been hearing, though, is actually that the associated one-shots and minis, that some of them are actually better than the actual Battle for the Column mini. I have so heard I that. I, I have heard that, but I haven't yeah. heard any of those. Yeah, me neither. I just I couldn't buy into it. I, you know, to me, I just kind of saw it as a bunch of bunch of books that were all going to lead to a foregone conclusion, and I just, I, I just, I just couldn't buy into it. I get that a, a lot of people probably feel that deserves it, or that you know they like the character, and it's it's the right choice, and I get all of that. I, I guess I would have liked to see. And, of course, you'll never see this because they have to bring him back. But I'd rather see Batman on his deathbed, like, convincing Dick that he has to do it. You know, like, that that type of thing, rather than him having to fight like these other clowns for it. Of course, you get uh, Jason Todd toting guns and <laughs> in the Batman yeah. suit and being you know, a jackass. That I, he I, didn't, I didn't live through the whole... Um, death of superman the whole year or however long it was where you had you know uh no no superman he had four different guys vying for the role of superman i didn't live through that but i've, I've read the book since then and i've seen the documentaries and yeah everybody's saying now no it wasn't a stunt it was just a storyline the media made it up more than it was and i don't know if they did or didn't but this whole battle for the cowl to me just plays off like they're trying to do to batman what they did with superman that, may, that maybe they're deliberately trying to make a spectacle by tr- uh, by uh by trying to capture lightning in the bottle twice, they're they're trying to say, okay, we're for Superman. We got this whole big thing. Let's do it for Batman now. We'll kill him. We'll keep him off for a year. We'll we'll play it around. Who's gonna be Batman? And then bam, we'll bring Bruce back in a big way. And the fact that they're also doing DC Zombies at the same time, it just all you know makes you know makes it all play a nice a nice tight editorial package for them. Well, the one thing you know when they did Death of Superman, the one thing it had going for it was it all stayed within the titles. At that time, Superman was four monthly titles. So every week you got a focus on a different one of the four Superman. So for me, because that's what got me back into comics. I mean, love it or hate it, whatever. That's what got me in. And it, to me, it was exciting to go into the shop every week to find out what the next development was. I mean, I think we all knew that in the end it was going to come back to being Superman, but we didn't know for how long. I mean, I didn't know if DC's plan was to drag this out for several years or if there was going to be some twist on one of these four characters going through a metamorphosis and becoming, you know, Superman again, or what the deal was. So to me, it was some, like I said, some excitement to go in every week to the to the shop and pick up that book to find out what was going on next. And for this, they kind of spun it out. They basically killed off all the mainstream bat titles and then spun it off in these minis and and made us, you know, an event and a spectacle out of it. And to me, I think that took some of the you know, what made the death of Superman or the return of Superman special, you know, out of this, because it, it, it just turned into an event or a stunt. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I think that's what DC's plan was for death of Superman was it was an event or a stunt, but I think it was more natural. Right. And that's exactly my point about, you know, editorials trying to capture lightning in the bottle twice. They're trying to recreate that, but they're doing it artificially. Just like right. I said, bef- I said in the past about my fears with, with blackest night that you had Sinestro core war was, told naturally it was told among the titles with a couple little one shots to kind of fill in the gaps but it was the, the the writer got to tell a story now you have this big editorial driven event that's based around this but now 
I mean, Jeff Johns has gone on record saying that it's actually helping him because he can do more with what his idea is because he has more more pages between all these books to work with, between the two main tiles and the Blackest Night and all the, the tie-ins. But again, it's is it art, being artificially driven to the point where the magic, if you will, that, that you gain from just letting the title play out, you're not going to have that. Um, that's exactly the difference I mean when you said about the Superman story was story-driven and organic, and now this is just feeling feeling forced to sell more sell more books. I think if you look at, um, like well, you're saying, Battle of the Cow as being like a, um, a cash-in or whatever, I think if you look at the, the way they did something like very similar with Captain America, I think that was the right way to do it. You know what I mean? Where the, the, the death of the hero or whatever spun naturally out of the story. It wasn't, I mean, a huge event. They had, what, the Fallen Sun miniseries, but that was about it. And then in Batman, I mean, we were having we we're seeing the same thing. You know, Bruce Wayne ostensibly killed and, you know, the, the sidekick taking over. DCU a lot lately has been driven by the idea of legacy. It's rare that we see a, um, a sidekick step up and take his mentor's role. And we saw it with Wally West. Usually when the sidekicks grow up, they become their own thing like um you know speedy growing up to become red arrow or um you know donna troy growing up to become troya it's it's very rare that you know like wally west became went from being kid flash to being flash now you have dick grayson going from being nightwing to taking his mentor's role as batman i just hope that they keep um you know the 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 storylines and the personalities that make you know dick grayson cool like uh you know his fighting style his outlook you know how he differs in his modus operandi from Batman. Batman works entirely through intimidation, even among like other superheroes. Which, whereas Dick spent his whole like teenage years putting together the Titans and working as part of a team, you know, and being more social. So I hope those kind of things come through in the story while while Dick is Batman and Russ. I mean, you you probably won't be reading it anyway because it's it's Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. So I want to see uh, I want to see Batman fighting with a bow staff. You know which one I'm really exactly. I think I'm going to get in, in trade though is the Red Robin series because uh, I, I, Craig Kyle, is it Kyle or Yost? One of them, I think it's Kyle. Craig Kyle is writing that series, which is weird that he's crossing over to DC, but he's the guy that's writing the writing pair on X-Force. He did the previous new X-Men book, which spun out of the previous incarnation of basically new mutants. He's also a writer on the Wolverine and the X-Men and responsible for a lot of the, Marvel animated stuff that's been coming out recently. So the fact that he's on that book and it's kind of like a, almost like a hero's quest kind of book makes me think it's going to be separate enough that I, it, it may stand on its own. So, so I think I might pick that one up and trade. I guess that's it for me. Cool. Okay. Uh, Russ, why don't you lay us, uh, lay upon us what you're, what you've been reading lately? Well, I started this several months ago no surprise for me, but I actually went back to it was right around, it was right before I guess we did our Days of Future Past, but that's where my my X Men run starts, and I actually got a printed chronology out. So I've been going back through and reading my X Men books, um, which is something I haven't re- I haven't ever done, and read them chronologically, meaning all the other series, the New Mutants, the X Factor. Um, now I'm all the way up into the 90s now, so I've gone from you know 141 Uncanny all the way up to you know, I'm on right at the Fatal Attractions crossover now, getting ready to get into the Avengers X-Men big 30th anniversary crossover. So right around the early 90s. So that's been a lot of fun is going back through and, and rereading a lot of that stuff in order. So that's kind of like my, my backlog reading. But one of the things I picked up at Comic Palooza was I picked up up through issue 27 of Trinity. I originally got one through four on DCBS and I was looking to make some cuts to my order, so I was able to get issues 5 through 27 
in 50 cent bins at Comic Palooza. So I, I figured I can't pass that up. And I'm up, I'm right around issue 21, 22 now. And it's been really good. I'm really surprised at how mm-hmm. good it is. I know, Ken, I think you're reading it too. I love it. Yeah. I've got my last four yeah. issues coming, uh, should be here Tuesday in my DCBS box. Yeah. So I'm going to really be trying to get it either to some small shows or, um, if I can make it to a con somewhere in the next year, or maybe beg borrow for folks to, to keep an eye out for 28 through 52. If you see it in either dollar bins or 50 cent bins or something to try and pick the rest of it up. I was going to get it in trade, but at that 50 at that 50 cent price, I just couldn't pass it up. So I may just, you know, get them all and bind them, you know, or, you know, just keep them separate. I don't know, but it's, like I said, it's been a little good. That whole, kind of alternate, you know, so an event happens that, you know, kind of alters the timeline or the, the reality or whatever it is, and things kind of spin off, and it's been it's been really good. I've, I've, like I said, I've been surprised right. at how good it is. If I could just jump in, what I really like about it is, you know, I remember when they first announced this, I listened to uh, some other podcasts, and they're like, you know, the, oh, the Trinity, those three, they're so boring. What are they going to possibly do? And, and this is really, I think, I've never seen these three characters used in this way, what they've done with them, especially when... The, cha- the change in event really happens and it completely takes them out of their element, if you will. I really don't want to give too much away on it. But it, it's done in such... so It's such a different way of looking at these characters and the, and the whole way the universe works. And it's completely... I, mean, I don't know if if it will eventually tie into Connie or not. It doesn't matter to me. It, does, it, it just... It's a great... It's a very good story to me. It, it really doesn't impact Connie at all. Well, I mean, it's, it's Bruce Wayne, first off, so, I mean, it, it doesn't have battle for the cowl in there and i have no idea any reference to final crisis and i don't i don't care it's it's just a great standalone yeah. story do you think that countdown really put this book in a bad spot like if, if they'd have gone from 52 to this that this book would be selling much better yeah i do i i, I would agree with that i think people got soured on the weekly book with countdown and this is not countdown and i'm and i'm not a countdown hater i acknowledge its weak points but it, it it's there i mean it's it's part it, that is part of the continuity you know as poorly done as it was it it's there so stuff in that does count even if it is inconsistent in parts but it was it was i agree it was poorly done but but this is just it's just a a good story now i listened i wasn't i didn't stay for the uh Sunday conversation with Dan Dio session in new york i had to leave earlier on sunday but what's nice about DC is they record all their all their panels, so I can download and listen to it as a podcast. They were asking about the weekly format, and somebody mentioned that 52 is not a 52-issue story. It could be much shorter. It didn't elaborate on how short, but you know what? Yeah, there are some issues where it kind of stretches it out a little bit to maybe fill page or fill, fill the 52 issues, but on the whole... It's great. I think it's going to read very well in trades. In fact, um, I've been since I've been going strictly to DCBS. I I was buying this title weekly because I didn't want to wait. But since I've been reading them a month at a time, it has read better for me reading it in in, in batches. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I read fifty two in trades, and uh, it read really well all as one story. And I, I I people tell me that they didn't think it would because they'd read it from week to week. But when I finally did get around to reading fifty two, I literally sat down and read all four trades in one sitting, and it really worked all as one story. I don't know if I could say the same for Countdown. I only read the first trade of that, and it was very you know soured yeah. as you as you put it right. on on the experience. You know, I'm curious to see how they're gonna how Weekly Comics is gonna kick off because. Uh, the way I understand it, that's basically you know like newspaper format Sunday comics is kind of what it is on Wednesdays. Is that what this weekly format is going to be? Does people know about anything? Yeah, you guys the, know about Wednesday comics? Wednesday yeah, comics, pages, yeah, that's the format exactly. Yeah, the, and the pages each page folds out into a, I guess whatever twice a standard comic is what 
eight by right. eight by eleven or whatever. So it it folds out, and yeah, the, the style is is like the Sunday you know comics where it's yeah. That's um, what I mean. Yeah, when it's, when it's folded way. up, it's about the size of a comic, so it'll fit on the newsstand and everything else. Right. But when you unfold it, it's like reading a newspaper. And right. it's, but it's going to be a lot of different characters and titles. It won't be just one one story, right? It's going to be a bunch of little stories, almost like here's Batman, here's Superman, here's you know. Andy Cap, here's you know, uh, you know, for better or for worse, whatever. It's going to be just all these little uh, throwing Sunday comic titles out there. Yeah, because they're they're doing like Commandy, and they're doing you know a Batman. They'll do a Wonder Woman. They'll do whatever. And from what I understand, yeah, it's just a way to get kind of high profile creators or creators that haven't been on books regularly for a long time and don't and don't want to be, or maybe artists that don't you know can't do a monthly but can, you know, jump in and jump out. And I don't know that they're going to be interconnecting stories or that even if there's a commandy story in the first month and the third month, if they even connect, they may or may not. Yeah, that's going to be a nice question. If it's going to be an ongoing storyline or not. Because that's what the weekly comics have been these last three years, is it has been an uh, an ongoing story. From what I read, I don't think so. And it's only going to be four months, I think. I think it's 12, no, three months, because I think it's 12 weeks. That's what I heard. Oh, it's only 12 12 weeks. It's not going to be a whole year. Interesting. So this will be the first break we've had. In, this will be the first break we've had in uh, in three years after this is over, maybe with no weekly comic, unless there's yeah. some, unless there's something to follow it up. Yeah, and I think they're I think they're planning on there being something to follow it up, and whether it's this or not, you know, who knows? It may be one of those things where if the first couple months it really really sells well, they may try and get some more in the can and and stretch it out past the three month run. Mm-hmm. So. Hard to say, but yeah, I'm, I definitely pre-ordered all four of them. If it's something that is really good, I may not pre-order them and just may give me a reason to go into the shop every week and pick it up off the shelf and even pay the you know pay the full price for it, but just to support it if it's if it's a good book to to keep it going. Yeah, I plan on getting the first you know issue or two just to see what it, what it's like. Yeah. yeah, the list of creators on it is just insane. Yeah. I mean, they have. So many creators I respect and admire and enjoy. I mean, I can't imagine it, you know, being, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, with that many, that much talent on there, it being a total washout. Yeah. Other stuff I've been reading, I, you know, it's my usual stuff, you know, I get all the X books and the Messiah War thing has been pretty good, a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So that, that's been, that's been really good. And it's, it's getting ready to wrap up here pretty quick. Um, Uncanny and Legacy have been okay. The whole move to San Francisco thing is, you know, is all right. But I think they get a little too try and be hip and in the moment of the whole San Francisco thing going on. But overall, I like what they're doing. They're they're kind of created a league of female vil- uh, villains that have kind of teamed up. So they call it the Hellfire Cult, and I think they're calling the the villains they're the the Sisterhood of Evil Mutants. So it's 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 a bunch of the kind of the female characters that have all kind of come together. So it, it's been interesting. The Greg Land art is okay. I'm not a huge, I'm not a Greg Land hater. I think overall his art is very nice, but everybody looks like a supermodel and everybody's always smiling. So to me, it just looks a little weird at, at times that, you know, everybody, everyone is, is a beautiful person. Um, and it just, it's a little distracting sometimes. Been still been reading Cap, you know, I read Captain America every month and it just, Brubaker's, you know, again, knocking it out of the park with Cap. Um, I'm really curious to see what's going on with 600. I don't know if you guys read that, I guess, News Rama or CBR or whatever it is posted this weekend, that comic shops are going to be able to sell Captain America 600 on Monday instead of Wednesday. Now, which Monday is that? Is that when, when is... Monday before. No, but so what's... 15th. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. All right. Yeah, June, yeah, June 15th. 
So they're, they've gotten the go-ahead for Marvel, which is like the first time in 10 years or 12 years or something like that, that they've been given the, the authority to sell a book early other than a holiday. You know, normally holiday may push it a day or two right. later, depending. But this is the first time they've gotten authority to, that shops have gotten authority to sell books or get books that far in advance to put on the shelf. So there's speculation that the reason for it is to give it a jump and get that there's some sort of storyline kicking off in it. It, it, whether it may have something to do with the whole reborn thing, but I think it's it's to give shops that extra couple of days to maybe up their orders for 601 or you know 602 or to order you know something to do with maybe final order cutoff. So it ought to be interesting to see, given what happened with Cap 25, yeah. what happens with this one. So I've got it on my DCBS, but I think I'm going to hit the shop on the 15th of June and see what's you know what's up with it. Yeah, that's uh, one of the books, uh, well, all, all my books, really, I switched the trades on, and uh, I haven't caught up to the trades to where I stopped on that, so I'm way behind on my cap. So, But I I'm, I may get it anyway, even though I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's it, it's been pretty good. The Star Wars books, they're, they're, Dark Times restarted again. It, it mm-hmm. kind of went on hiatus after the whole Vector series ended. Right. But they started a series called Blue Harvest, which is kind of was the code name for... Return of the Jedi, when they were you know, making Jedi, they called it Blue Harvest. And the, also the name of the Family Guy episode when they did their Star Wars spoof, too. So it, it, it takes it back to Tatooine. And Dark Times takes place between episodes three and four. And there's still a few Jedi floating around there, and it's the early days of Vader and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I've read the first part, and it's really good. And the, Doug Wheatley does the art. And if, if you guys, he does a fantastic job on the Star Wars books. I mean, Dark Times is just beautiful when he draws it. Yeah, it's one of the ones I'm on trade on, but I did buy that to, to just see where it goes because I've, I've now read all the Star Wars trades of the current titles you know, from you know, Dark Times, Knights of the Republic, and Rebellion, all those. And uh, I agree. You know, that's, that's a really good, good, uh, good book. Yeah, and it's, it, I was really disappointed when it went on hiatus for a while because it was that one and Legacy are my two favorite. And Legacy just continues to be you know, pretty strong as well. So that's yeah. a, that's another favorite of mine. And that's about it. Uh, I've been, you know, getting some, some filling in some back trades. I got the Thy Kingdom Come stuff from JSA, which has been really good. I need to get the last part of that to finish it off. And I've been backfilling my Green Lantern hardcovers. So I've got them all now except for um, the first two. So I need to go and backfill those because I really like what's been going on with that. So... That's about it for me as far as what I've been what I've been reading. Moving on to uh, Ken. Ken, what have you been reading, buddy? Um, well, I'm just going to tail off with what Russ was just saying, and he was talking about uh, his Star Wars books. Um, I have I've talked before how much I've been really enjoying uh, some of the expanded universe stuff. I've talked about the comics. I've talked about how I've been catching up on all the uh, the books by listening to audiobooks. I am on my last I don't know 20 minutes ago of the new Jedi Order series. I'm on book 19. I've gone through 19 audiobooks in the last, you know, couple of months. And I'm just about done with the whole Yuzhan Vong invasion. Just in time for, uh, in May, they solicited invasion number one, which is the Yuzhan Vong. It's going to be set at the beginning of all the new Jedi Order stuff. So at the very beginning of the Vong invasion in the Star Wars universe. So that's going to be a five-part series. So uh, I'm hoping it's good. Maybe they'll pick it up as an ongoing in New York, they, Dark Horse said that they're bringing this on as a replacement to Rebellion because they, they canceled that title. That was running that was coming out alongside uh, Dark Times that Russ mentioned. Uh, but they felt they were getting too far into continuity-heavy territory. That is to say, you know, the movies. They were catching up to Empire Strikes Back, basically. 
and go into New Jedi Order gave them a chance to tell some stories that they uh, they haven't told me before. So, uh, not to mention that I've gotten a great, a, a huge new appreciate, pre, new appreciation for like for Legacy because there are so many callbacks in Legacy back to this new Jedi, Jedi Order series that I'm like, oh my god, that's that character and that's that and that's wow, that's where that came from and they're really meshed together very well. This goes to um, not to plug my own podcast, Too Old to Grow Up, that comes out uh, every Tuesday. You can uh, at TooOldToGrowUp.com. But we did our Star Wars episode and uh, talked about how tightly wo- uh, woven the continuity is, and you can really see that going from these books to these to the comics. And uh, so that's thumbs up for Star Wars continuity there. I actually, when we moved from Houston out to the to the country here, I had all my stuff. We had all our, a bunch of our stuff in storage, so we went through it a couple weeks ago and cleaned a bunch of stuff out. And I had in two big boxes all of my star wars hardcovers and soft covers and novels right so i went through and pulled them all out and i've got all my new i never finished the new jedi order stuff so i pulled those out and i'm going to start rereading those and probably making a bunch of trips to half price books to get to finish that off because i really want to get on the post new jedi order train and and finish reading all that stuff up cool um, the other thing I've been reading is, I, as I said before, I switched to trades, and it's been a it's been a long several months because I'm waiting for those titles that I stopped buying in uh, weeklies for them to catch up in their trades to where I need to start buying those trades again. Now I have a few coming. I have a new Buffy trade coming in that, so I've been filling in the gaps by uh, buying some some older older stuff. Which is to say, I've started reading comics again, really like I do now. About I don't know. Seven years ago now, 2002, um, Spider-Man once a month, and then Green Lantern, Rebirth, and then so on and so on. So I'm taking advantage of this lull now. I've been buying, they started releasing soft covers of the Marvel Masterworks, and uh, DC has their Chronicle series. So I'm having my hands right now. The Amazing Spider-Man Marvel Masterworks number one, the Avengers Marvel Masterworks number one, and Green Lantern uh, Green Lantern Chronicles number one from DC. All the Green Lantern stories in the exact order they were published. So I'm going back to the 1960s and back further and working my way forward by reading these trades. So I'm getting some good, fun, Silver age kind of stuff here uh, and reading some comics that I've never read before. And I'm just having a good time with that. That's the uh, Silver Age Green Lantern in the Green Lantern Chronicles? Oh, or is it the Golden Age? Well, no, it's, it's, it's not Golden Age. It isn't, it isn't uh, Alan Scott. This is Hal Jordan. This is this is this is house. This is all from uh, House first appearance and uh, showcase presents Green Lantern, the menace of the runaway missile. Right. This is the first appearance, his origin, and then when it switches over to his own title and they rehash the origin, introduce the Guardians. Sinestro's not in this one yet, so he hasn't appeared yet in, in, as of this this first volume. I have the um, the showcase, you know, like the essential version kind of uh-huh. the showcase of the uh, first Green Lantern, Silver Age Green Lantern appearances. These Green Lantern Chronicles are they in uh, color? Are they like these are color? These are color. These, these are the equivalent of the Marvel Masterworks series, which are all the in color printings of the same those same stories. So this is in color as well. They've done it with Batman and Superman. Yes. Where the cool thing with the Chronicles is their true chronological order. Like with the Masterworks, you'll get, you know, Avengers 1 through 10, 1 through, you know, 11 through 20, so on and so forth. But the Chronicles are actually going through and reprinting everything in pure chronological order. So if Superman, if, you know, Superman number 12 was published and then Action Comics 23 and then Superman 13, they'll actually publish the Chronicles books in that order. Mm -hmm. I'm actually glad you brought that up, Jim. Since we're talking about like comics industry and and whatever, um, I cannot get into the newsprint black and white versions of, of these, you know, these reprints like the essentials and stuff. I just can't. 
if it's meant to be in black and white, like I dig Walking Dead and I think it looks great and I have no problem with it, but I can't, I have a problem with color comics reading them on newsprint in black and white. I just can't get into them. I mean, it's like childish, but I can't, you know, I don't know if anybody else feels that way. I guess I can see that, but you know what? On the other hand, I got in New York, I think last year, I'm holding right here, uh, Showcase Presents Booster Gold. Um, this is every Booster Gold comic in my hand. It cost me 15 bucks. Yeah, I can I can live with that in black and white if I can have every single Booster Gold story uh, that came. Well, not the current, the new title, that is, the original title, the original series. Yeah, I'm the same with you, John. I have a real hard time wanting to pick up the Showcase or the Essentials for that reason because they were not, I guess, part of it is, like you were saying, like I've got the Savage Sword of Conan volume from Dark Horse, and those are reprints of the Savage Sword of Conan, the, the magazine size issues. And those were originally presented in black and white. So they're reprinted in black and white, slightly smaller. That and they're awesome. Bother. Yeah, they're incredible. Um, I'll have them too. They're great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of behind and need to catch up. But, but those don't bother me at all. But, yeah, some of the stuff that was intended to be in color, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's just mental block or the fact that the line work just doesn't translate. But then again, I'm, I'm kind of on Ken, Ken's side. If I found the right one, just because just I want to pure read it, like, part of me, I know everybody talks about it, but, like, the, the old Power Man, um, Luke Cage, you know, right. Power Man, yeah. Essentials, you know, I'd have a hard Sweet time passing Christmas. that up. Yeah, yeah, I'd have a hard time passing that up if I found a good deal on it, just just for the pure enjoyment and uh, and ridiculousness of it. So, but, yeah, I have no desire to go, like, get some of the, like, the old Essentials, either, you know, Avengers or Spider-Man or, or X-Men. And, and um, I'll agree with that, because I was the same way. I could have purchased, you know, Showcase or... Uh, uh, Marvel Essentials of Spider-Man long ago, but I didn't want—I didn't want to read those that way, and I couldn't—I couldn't really justify spending the money for the big, uh, oversized hardcover Spider-Man that had like I think the first like fifty issues or whatever it is in there. That yeah, was huge on the bus. Yeah, on those. Thank you. But these Marvel West- Masters are perfect. I mean, no, they're not hardcover, and I guess the hardcovers are either nicer a little bit, or they maybe have more issues in them. But you know, these soft covers—they do the job for me. And uh, taking taking the bed, read them, you know, whatever, and, and I'm and I'm just I'm enjoying them. Yeah, I, I plan See, on doing. I've got one of the Marvel Masterworks hardcovers for the X Men. I think it's volume three because I found it really cheap on eBay. But now that they're printing those in in soft cover trade, I'm I'm probably going to go back and get them, especially for the first you know sixty six because I'll never own those. Right. Um, I've got some of them in reprint comics, but having them in a little bound trade that I can just kind of read whenever would be nice. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Looking at those at those masterworks, especially since you're looking at like Spider Man and the Avengers, how you know the paper that they print on is that bright white glossy paper. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion, I guess, of the reproduction of the color and everything? Does it seem a little off to well, you? Well, it looks really good to me. Now that said, I have every Amazing Spider Man comic electronically off one of those DVDs. So wow. I can only assume that those were actually scans of the original individual issues is how they got those. And the colors are definitely different. But I thought that might just because they recolored it or somehow it transferred differently for this reprint that they just didn't do it perfect for whatever reason. Um, if you remember in our Craven's Last Hunt episode, I was using my original issues of, Cra- of the Craven's Last Hunt series. Brad and some others were using their... Uh, their tray paperbacks, and we discovered there were coloring differences there as well. So I don't know how much of that is the tr- is the paper, and how much of that is just the uh, when they restored them, they just didn't get the colors exactly right. So I, I I don't know that. I will say it looks great. If I if I mean having never seen Amazing Spider-Man number one in person, an actual original comic, I can't say it looks any worse or better than than the original. I can say what yeah. I have looks fantastic. 
I got the the so. Avengers classics too, and they print on the the clear the bright paper, mm-hmm. and it just it. I guess I expect it to be on newsprint. So when it's not on newsprint, to me, I guess my brain just kind of looks yeah. at it a little different. Well, you know what? With DC, I do expect that because I mean, I have my Death and Return of Superman omnibus, and I I expected that a little bit better. Now that said, it's a little, it's a huge page count for for the the size the, the physical size book it is. So if they had gone with yeah. a thicker paper, that really would have made the. Um, I mean, think about it. If if the as thin as newsprint is, if the thicker paper is just double the size, you think a sheet of paper is not a big deal. Well, that would be a really big book when you add it all up. So I'm pretty happy with, with that. But I expect that from DC. That's just what they do. Marvel, um, just from what I've seen, they, they, they don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Because the Chronicles are newsprint as well, aren't they? Chronicles is a thinner paper. It is newsprint, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but again, it's DC, and I expect it, and I'm happy with it. <sighs> They both look great. Honestly, the, a glossy paper or a coated paper, whatever it is, doesn't bother me either way, as long as I'm reading the stories and enjoying them. Uh, last thing I want to throw out there, I was uh, in the comic shop a few weeks ago, and I had some time, so I was looking through some back issue bins, and I bought what is now the oldest comic I own. It's um, The Amazing Spider-Man number 74. It is the last book, Amazing Spider-Man, that was $0.12 cents cover price. It wow. is featuring the fantastic secret of the petrified tablet. It is marked VG on the back of the backing board. I have no idea if that's accurate or not. I'm not a grader, but it, for me, it looks great. It cost me eight bucks, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> wow! So this is from 1960. This is from 1969. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a character in it who I they've used in the uh, the 90s series, and it's actually a storyline they used in the 90s uh, the 90s series here. Silvermane. Yeah, it's Silvermane when he used oh, the yeah. tablet to, to to go to turn young, and that's how it ends. So um, there's some, and the best part about it, there's some great ads in here. Tired of being skinny? Drink on pounds of weight fast. The fun way. Gains up to a pound a day. Proven by thousands. So there's some uh, great ads in here. Dynamic tension. Uh, that's in here. Yep. Every time you twist the twister, I can put money in your pocket. Oh, oh, my favorite. Boys 12 or older sell grit. America's greatest family newspaper. The popular publication in 12,000 homes or 1.2 million homes. So there you go. Nice. Awesome. And I guess I'm the last one. Yep. And I will say what I've been reading. I actually splurged today and traded brunch to my to my friend Wayne, who works at our local LCS, uh, for the Hulk red and green hardcover. I don't know if you guys have checked this out. It's uh, Jeff Loeb writing the new Hulk storyline. And uh, I mainly got it for the art, because the art is done by two of my favorite artists of all time, uh, Arthur Adams and uh, Frank Cho. I love, love, love Art Adams. I, I've really been tempted. I'm, I'm curious to see what you think of this because I've been. I, this is one I stayed away from purposely, but the more people I hear from love this book, so I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what you have to say about it, Jim. Well, here's the thing, yeah, I, Jeff Loeb. Either in my in my eyes, he either does really really great stuff, like when he works with Tim Sale on you know the Marvel uh, like Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow and things like that, and the Long Halloween. And then there are other times when Jeff Loeb just it's almost like it's two different people. And I used, for an example here, Ultimates 3, which was a steaming pile. But this is just super fun, goofy, fun comic book work. The The art is just stunning. And it, Jeff Loeb is definitely playing to the strengths of the artist. In the, in, you know, the, in the Frank Cho issues, for example, he brings in 
you know, all these female Marvel characters, Thundra and Valkyrie and She-Hulk and everything, knowing, you know, full well Frank Cho's uh, predilection for uh, the female form, shall we say. And uh, the the art is just incredible. I'm, I, as you guys know, I'm more of a story guy than an art guy, but uh, this just uh, is really great. And Art Adams does so little uh, comic work anymore. And the story is just out and out goofy and fun. And it's not anything, you know, it's not, it's nothing earth shattering or, you know, or game changing or anything, but it's, it's kind of goofy and fun. And the, and the art just, you know, elevates it. It's just this great confection, I guess, you know, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to check your brain at the door uh, to read it and just kind of, you know, the nice goofy, uh, you know, fun it's supposed to style it's supposed to be written in. Also, I was at the flea market on Saturday and scored a bunch of uh, back issues and some trades, including Secret Wars number 12. Which you know the final episode of Secret Wars. I also got the um, the trade paperback uh, color reprint of the Dark Phoenix saga. I know you were talking about uh, old school X Men, Russ. Yeah. Um, this is the uh, the color trade back before there were a lot of trades. It's got the Bill Sienkiewicz, uh cover, and uh, it's all in color and nice thick um, paper, and it's just really cool and beautiful. And I've, I've other than, you know, my reader copies, I really don't have a good copy of it in my collection, so I really jumped on that. I bought that trade. That was, like, the first trade I ever bought, and it was back in, it had to be 90 or 91, and I had that same one with that St. Cabbage cover, and then I bought the From the Ashes, which has the Art Adams cover, like, right after that, and those two kind of are nice parallels to each other story-wise, so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I also scored, um, I'm a big Sandman fan, I, I know you guys kind of run hot and cold on that or whatever, but uh, I found a book, it's uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, and I, mean, I know I'm going to butcher this, Yoshitaka Amano, he's the conceptual artist for the uh, Final Fantasy video games from Square Enix, if you guys are video gamers at all, I mean, you've, you've heard of that out in listener land, but this is a book called The Dream Hunters. And it's a prose, like, short story, and then there are pages and spreads of uh, this guy, uh, Yoshitaka Amano's art, and it's all in, in watercolors and in inks, and it's just this really cool artistic uh, style. It's, it's very much like a, like a Japanese uh, fairy tale, and uh, super cool. Uh, the Dream Hunters, The Sandman, I definitely recommend that. So uh, that's what I've been reading lately. Oh, and uh, also thumbs up on Atomic Robo, like you were saying before. I really enjoy that a lot. Uh, it's definitely got that Hellboy feel with uh, a little more humor, you know, injected in there. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but that's what I've been reading lately. So that kind of sums it up for me. Hey, did you guys, uh, it might be coming in your boxes if you, if you haven't gotten them yet. Did you guys get this um, Marvel reading chronology in your shipments yet? I don't think, no. I don't think so, no. No, I heard the I 11 o'clock guys talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if they've ever done this before, but um, I stopped by the LCS. I usually pick up previews like, I don't know, I don't order it. It's stupid, but I just it makes me go in the LCS once a month at least, and I pick up my previews and take a look on the shelves and everything. And the guy threw in this chronology, and it's actually pretty cool. This one covers Avengers, Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, Daredevil, Black Panther, uh, the Women of Marvel, Fantastic Four, Inhumans, Hulk, Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Punisher. And it basically gives a full-page spread of each title, and it starts you off at number one and tells you what you should read first, and then second, and then third. And it kind of runs through the chronology of all the trade paperbacks. And it'll bounce back and forth if you should pick up, you know, Civil War one-shots between, you know, two trades or whatever. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a good idea for a new reader. You know, how many, how many threads do we read on the forum of, oh, you know, I really would love to start up Daredevil. You know, where should I start? Or what's a good place to jump in? 
You know, I thought it was a good marketing tool for them, definitely. Yeah, that and the criticize or not, I've heard some criticism of the um, the saga books. So you have like the New Mutant Saga or Wolverine Saga or, you know, Annihilation Saga or whatever you want to call it. There's some criticism that they're using that to pad trades. So you get like a three or four issue trade and they're throwing that in there and, you know, bumping the price up to, to meet the page count or whatever. But for me, I think that, you know, that's awesome an awesome way to get people on, you know, on board and, and not be so afraid of not having 30, 40, 50 years worth of history and to be able to, you know, either find out what to buy or, you know, who these characters are and where they come from. So I think it's a great combination. I agree. I mean, if you're getting back into comics after having been out, like, say you go see the Wolverine movie, for instance, you know, and, you know, it inspires you. Oh, yeah, I loved Wolverine when, you know, when I was younger, yada, yada. And you go to the, the, um, the LCS and you look at the, you know, the bookcase full of uh, trades. I mean, where would you begin? I mean, do you start with the original Wolverine miniseries? Do you start with the original, you know, the run of the Wolverine monthly? Do you start with Origin? You know, I mean... Without that kind of guidance, I could see where it'd be really confusing for somebody, you know, just starting or coming back into the hobby to know where to begin. Well, more than likely, they would have immediately gone to legionofdudes.com and listened to our Wolverine episode, and they'd know exactly where they should need to go. That's right. <laughs> One would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cool, the, the, going along those lines, they, they kind of sectioned it off. For instance, if you go to the Hulk page, you know, it starts you with some masterworks and... Um, and then it'll say, you know, after it goes through a bunch of trades and visionaries and everything, it'll then say World War Hulk action. And then it'll give you a block of all of the different trades that had to do with World War Hulk. Then it'll say Fabulous Flashbacks. And it has Hulk Gray, um, which is the new Jeff Loeb coming out. Hulk versus the Marvel Universe, which is kind of like a, uh, a wrap-up of some different issues where he might have fought some different heroes. Um, then it has a Collect Them in Essentials section. And it sections off all the different Hulk, you know, essentials. So I, I just like the way, you know, it was a nice presentation and it, it could definitely help you out if you were, like you said, looking for where to start word. Should we uh, get on to uh, our, our main topic of discussion here that we had uh, addressed earlier? Sure. Which would be uh, the state, state of the industry as it is and as it applies to us as comic fans and readers and whatnot. There are a lot of different uh, facets and uh, issues to start with. Does anybody have a particular bone they'd like to pick? I think probably the easiest one to pick on if we're going to pick a bone is, is probably pricing. I think that's, you know, that's the easy target. Um, so maybe we should just get that out of the way and move on. Three ninety nine issues, guys. Have you been buying them? Are there some comics that are worth $4 an issue? I mean, personally, I would say no. I, I'm sorry, you know. Considering I can get a, a trade with six issues in it for you know an average of twenty bucks, you know, why why would I spend four dollars on a single you know, on a single floppy? You know, you know, my my mind absolutely agrees with you. But honestly, when I go in and I want to you know pick up the latest Amazing Spider-Man because I've kind of re got myself back into it after I dropped it for a little while, and I, I I I put him on the counter. He tells me how much everything is. I pay him. I walk out. I you know, we had a thread on the forum a few days ago about um, about Marvel and their opinion about you know uh, you know the, yes they think they can they know they're going to lose some customers but I think they'll make it up the difference with the price increase and they'll re- if they if they lose too much they'll readjust it and all that and I think it was Tiki basically basically said the comment that so Marvel thinks we're all lemmings we'll just follow them follow them with whatever they do and yeah they probably do and they're probably right because. I'm ashamed to admit that I'm one of them. I'm right there. I'm like, sure, here you go, four bucks, whatever, because I want my Spider-Man or whatever. 
Do, now, have I dropped a lot of stuff? Sure. That's why I switched a lot of stuff to trade. But there's enough stuff. There is some stuff that I, I don't want to wait for a trade. I look at it like I look at my TV. Yes, it's nice to wait for that season's box set. But at the same time, I like the episodic nature and I want to read it issue to issue or watch a show week to week. Sure, any, any show anymore, you can wait until the DVD set comes out and get them all at once and you know be done with it for less than one month of cable cost you. I'm a mix. It depends is all I can say. Yeah, I'm I'm in the mind, and I've said this before. It, you know, unless Uncanny X Men and the regular Flat X Men and probably Wolverine, the mainstream Wolverine title, go to five ninety nine or six ninety nine or something ridiculous like that. Unless they really jack up page counts or it comes out quarterly or something like that. Barring that, I'm going to keep getting those books because I've got a run of three hundred and sixty some odd issues, and I've got every issue but like four of the you know of what's now legacy and and all but one of the current run of, of Wolvie and a good majority of the previous. So I'm gonna keep getting those at the three ninety nine and wanna gripe about it and, and and complain, but I'm still gonna buy it. Now what I have done is I've made a pretty concerted effort, especially on the miniseries side. I used to be where I'd get I I got a lot of a lot of monthly books and a lot of you know if the X Men were related some way in a miniseries, I was typically picking it up. But I've I've started to just take draw that line in the sand where I'm not buying 3.99 books unless it's something either very pertinent like there's a mini or something that has and most of the time if, there, if there's an increased page count then it doesn't bother me so much but a, a flat out 22 page of story comic book I'm really making an effort to cut back on those 3.99 books you know that's just my way of you know my personal protest to say that you know I can't I, I can't. If every book goes to three ninety nine, then some, then there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to go because I just can't. Even with the with the discounted DCBS um, or online discounts or whatever, I just can't. I'll you know I'll make a more concerted effort to get to a con somewhere and pick them up in dollar bins or fifty cent bins, you know, within the first year. And I think the trade argument is good, but I think what we're seeing too is on the trade side, the trade prices are increasing. So. You know, if the individual issues are going up by a buck, I think we're going to see the trades go from 20 to 25 or from 15 to 20 or 25 to 30. So that, that price, I think, is going to, is going to yeah. correlate to that. And the same thing with the uh, online, online discount. I mean, yeah, it's, it's cheaper than three ninety nine getting it from any kind of discount. But at the same time, it's still more than you were paying with the same discount. Your, your $3 book that was $1.80 or whatever you know, is now a $4 book, but it's selling for two twenty or whatever the difference is. So you're still seeing the, the increase in some way. Right. And, you know, I think, but, you know, what's funny is, I mean, when you look at pricing and what effect it has, I think in last month's numbers, I think going by, you know, John Mayo puts out his mail report every month, I think eight out of the last 10 books on, on last month's top 10 were all 399 books. And a good majority of them were Marvel, you know? So I was going to ask about that, like whether the, the sales numbers yeah. had reflected that price increase. Now, are those, now those sales numbers, they're units or dollars? They're units, right? Units. Okay. So, because isn't you know, Diamond isn't your, Diamond's whole thing now that you have to meet a certain dollar amount of sales, yes. not units? So yes. I mean, that's another reason why, for some, especially some indies, you might be seeing a price increase because they're trying to clear that clear that number. Although higher price, fewer people, so you still may not make it. Right now, on the indie side, I'm a little more lenient, especially books that I really feel like need the support or are really good books because I understand their situation and you know maybe that sounds a little funny but i think mm-hmm. the mainstreamers like marvel and dc are trying to capture so much of that market and everybody else is kind of getting squeezed and now with diamond pulling their minimums it's really hurting those guys so 
So I'm a little more inclined to be dismissive of the, of the 399 price point on some of the indies than I am of the others. I, and when I was at Comic Palooza, I talked to Scott Chitwood over at um, from Red Five. Um, so the, the guys that put out Atomic Robo and and um, Afterburn and ZMD and some of those other books. And they held the line at 299 for a long time. And it's funny because their 299 had like cardstock covers, very uh, high print quality, very well produced books, you know, glossy hard stock or uh, cardstock covers. They had to bump it to 325. I think part of that was to meet some of the diamond minimums. I think part of it is just the, you know, just like everything else, cost, you know, costs going up in a tough economy. But, you know, you have a company like that that's trying to keep it as minimal as possible. And then you get the big two of Marvel and DC who have, you know, such a huge majority, you know, almost 90% of the market share. And, you know, they're bumping their books up left and right, you know, um, to 399. The one thing that DC is doing, I find interesting is they're going to 399, like on their super, on a bunch of their books, the Superman line, the Batman line, but they're adding backup content. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so yeah, they're oh, so excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Co-features. Yeah. <laughs> co-feature sorry but at least there you're getting an increased page count you know so you're not getting your standard 22 22 page yeah book that just, that just tells me that the the reason for the price price increase is not publishing costs it's that yeah. it's something else it's yeah. you know and it, it may not be greed it may be some real tangible thing i mean it might be creator payments it might be you know paying debt it might be any number of things but it doesn't seem like it's <laughs> publishing costs if they're able to add page count and and incre- increase the price at least the co-features make sense i mean they have mm-hmm. uh you know doom patrol paired with metal men they have you know batwoman paired with the question blue beetle with booster, uh, gold. booster gold and and the blue beetle exactly and I, i'm actually looking forward to that i, I think that's a that's a great idea that i mean yeah. maybe the blue beetle the new blue beetle can't carry his own book but he can definitely carry a book with Booster Gold, you know. Yeah, in fact, so I Booster Gold is I'm sorry, Booster Gold is one of the ones that I've dropped for trade, but I am buying this first issue with Blue Beetle. Honestly, the extra discount from DCS didn't uh, didn't hurt. It certainly helped my decision, but I was curious to find out uh, just to see what the story was and see how they're gonna how they're going to do it if they're going to integrate standalone or just what they're going to do, especially with Blue and Gold. I mean, no, it's not Ted. It's 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 Jaime, but still, it's Blue and Gold. I'm interested to see how they're going to trade that stuff. If, if they're going to keep, so when they trade six issues of Booster Gold, is it going to be six complete issues of right. Booster Gold, or is it going to be six issues of the Booster Gold side, and then they're going to hold off on the co-feature stuff and put it in a separate trade, or right. collect twelve, you know, twelve would be the equivalent of twelve issues of that, and put it separate. So that's got me curious as well. What about you, John? I, th- I think I'm in line with Ken. I I know what I want my monthly number to be. And I might be cutting more titles because the books are more expensive, but I'm not cutting the ones that are three ninety nine consciously, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So probably what's happening is I'm cutting DC books because Marvel prices went up just because I'm, I'm more into Marvel. So maybe some things that I would check out from DC or another label might not make the cut anymore because of the raised prices. So I'm probably not a great person to ask but i really don't i really don't know the price of the books i'm reading right now i just know those are the ones i want to read and if my numbers starts to creep up too high then i cut something else let me ask you guys this and i know what my answer is and i'm not really proud of it but if if, i don't know how much indie stuff you guys order or buy on a regular basis at all but if you're doing your order and you're seeing where it's coming out and you seeing you have to make some cuts 
will an indie title get off the list quicker than a DC or Marvel because it's indie, or do you try to leave that in there until the last last minute? Because honestly, for me, I'll drop an indie before I'll drop a Green Lantern or a Spider Man or something else. Um, you know, there, there might be there might be a DC title in there I'll get rid of first, but an indie title is going to go before one of the other one before one of the other ones in most cases. What, what about you guys? I'm the total opposite of that. I, I would stick with the indie title over the DC or Marvel title only because I know that the DC or Marvel title has a better chance of getting traded uh, down the road than sure. an indie title that I want to, you know, the fact, the only floppies I tend to buy tend to be indies uh, anymore that I want to support or that I don't think will have enough of a um, circulation that will end up being traded down the line. Yeah, not many not many indies even make the list to get chopped for me because I know that that number is just going to be, you know, it's going to be too tight. So my, the answer would be, yes, they'd be the first thing to go, but I don't even get that far. Like I can tell by the length of my list that I'm not even going to get to the back of previews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I just, uh, well, Russ, you want to jump in first or do you have anything to say? Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm sort of kind of in Jim's boat. Nor I don't buy a whole lot of indie books. So typically, if an indie book makes it on the list, it's because I really want it. So when it comes to the chopping block time, usually what I'll do is, I'll, first of all, I've, I've, I've cut a considerable amount of my monthly titles, and I've, I've started adding more trades. So when it comes down to it, I'll typically cut a trade or cut an ancillary monthly to keep those indies on there. Like I said, just because I've made a, a special effort to really want to either read or support or both that book. And the way, you know, there's a lot of, you know, either through eBay or, or cheapasstrades.com or what, what have you, you know, a trade cut is fairly easy because I'm pretty sure even a used one in really, really good condition, I could find for at least 60 to sometimes 70% off, you know, maybe six months down the road after it's released. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of with, uh, with John and the whole anything because, Let's face it. There's a lot of garbage in there, and without ever ever seen it before, you, you don't know what you're getting. So, uh, to me, for me to take a chance at all in indie is is big. But even the ones I've I've heard about, you know, I've got to have something a little bit more than oh, this is a great book, you should try it. Like, I mean, yeah, we've had some some friends on like Sean Pryor from PKD Media and a few a few others on the shows before. I I would definitely keep them on the list, but I'm. I have a little bit more of a connection to that book only because, and not just because I know the guy, but because I've, I've talked to them and, and, I've, and I've heard of their passion or I've read it already and I know what it's about. I know the quality. But at the same time, as much as I love Terry Moore's Echo, Terry Moore doesn't need my, my extra issue to worry about giving me a trade, so he's, he's going to go. <laughs> um, sorry, Terry, but I mean, I'll buy your trade, but uh, I'm not getting your issues anymore because I've got I've to make a cut. That brings up another point: is what do you guys consider indie? Because you know, do you consider everything not Marvel DC to be indie, or is it everything not Marvel DC and licensed property to be indie? Where you know, what do you, what do you, you know, just for your own personal you know choice, what and do you consider? Indie? To me, anything at the first first part of the book is not indie. That includes Dark Horse, that includes Image, that includes uh, you know Marvel and DC. Basically, those four to me are not indie. Anything else can be considered indie. You know, Dynamite, they're big. IDW, they're Devils do? pretty big. Devils do is big. They're they're all pretty big. They're they're this. I mean, it's a fine line, but it's, I've got I've got to break them off. They're in that side of the book. They're they're more indie. No, they're not making their you know books with yarn and or, or Kinkos or anything. But at the same time, they're not they're not Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, or Image. Gotcha. <laughs> I own no yarn comic books at this time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I stole it from Sal. There was Yarn Man and uh, Megaton Man, you know, Don Simpson. I, I stole I stole that from Sal. There's an Uncle Sal episode of CGS a couple years ago or so, and he's talking about I mean, Mocha. It's like you know, yeah. I mean, there's guys there's guys there that are putting their books together and with with yarn right in front of you, trying to trying to get you to buy their book. I mean, and then you're sitting there right there with your with, with Marvels right there next to them or something. It's like I, I just, if you haven't heard like, Uncle Sal, you need to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that kind of uh, encapsulates how we feel about the three ninety nine thing. And since we're talking about indies, let's segue into this. Uh, how do you guys feel, and does it affect you really at all, about the caps now that uh, Diamond has put on their indie creators? Evidently now an indie book has to sell uh, so many uh, units before wow. it'll be – or dollars, I'm sorry. Thank you, Russ. Uh, before it'll be carried by, uh, by Diamond. How do you guys feel about that, or does it affect your buying or, or anything at all? Well, I'll jump in. I mean, again, it doesn't it doesn't really affect my buying, but I, I do feel badly for those guys. I mean, you know, there's some real high quality stuff that just lacks the exposure, you know, to break that barrier. And it, it's I'm afraid a lot of it's going to go by the wayside. I think this really illustrates the the problem with uh, with this one distributor system we have. I mean, I think it's going to break under its own weight. Eventually, you're going to see. You're not going to see Diamond Fall in and of itself, but I think you'll see uh, uh, an upsurge of, of other distribution methods. I mean, we've seen, you know, Indie Plan and then print, other print-on-demand sites, and of course, web comics have had you know varying success for years. I mean, one of my favorites is uh, Daniel Corsetto, Girls with Slingshots, and you know, she's got two books out now that I've picked up. You know, you pick up at cons and that. Uh, not to mention, um, you know, Mime's Comic, which if you go to Mime'sComic.com right now, you'll see my comic debut. And uh, it's going to change. Is it? Is it? It's going to change. What's going to happen to Diamond long term? It's going to, who knows? But it, it will eventually change uh, the way comics are distributed. But it's going to be painful for a lot of uh, indie publishers in the, in the meantime, and a lot of work certainly. Okay, um, I actually had this discussion not too long ago um, at Gypsy uh, Cafe, the restaurant I own. Uh, every month or so, we do this thing called Doctor Sketchy's Anti Art School, where a lot, uh, basically we have like very pretty girls pose as models, and people can come in, pay to drink, and draw. Anyway, uh, it brings in a lot of uh, local artists, cartoonists, and whatnot. And I was having this talk with uh, Ed Pisker and Pat Lewis, two uh, indie guys that I know. And both of them have totally given up on Diamond. Uh, Ed, for instance, totally self-markets his uh, indie comic WYSIWYG um, through, like, for instance, Wired. Uh, through He was featured on uh, Comic Book Resources. He was featured on News of Rama. And just by marketing it through the Internet alone, you know, self-marketing, he's been able not only to, you know, to keep a lot of the money he's making off of his work, but he, he's able to control it. He can put it out when he's ready. Uh, it just gives him a lot more creative freedom and control. And then Pat uh, Lewis... Another cartoonist I know has taken on the same model himself, and uh, I really kind of think that's what, what the future is going to be. I mean, once the creators realize that they can reach the, the fan audience without Diamond, and once Diamond realizes that that distribution model isn't going to work with you know, electronic distribution, making a bigger part in the future, I think, anyway, that uh, I really think you know, Diamond's days eventually will be numbered. Yeah, I think about how hard it is for these guys to uh, market their books in general. I mean, I go to a con, and... And if I'm alone walking through Artist Alley, I've got to like really, you know, if I'm on my way to, especially on my way to meet somebody, I've got to like try not to make eye contact with anybody because every one of them is like right there trying to hook you in. And just, as soon as you make eye contact with somebody, like boom, you're su- you're sucked right in. And you, they start throwing the hard sell on you. I mean, on one hand, they've got to do it because they've got to sell these books. They've got to get their work name out there if they have any chance of being in Diamond. Um, 
or making a success like Ed Pisker is making with WYSIWYG Online, trying to trying to do that. But you got you got to hustle. You got to start somewhere. And on one hand, you feel bad for these guys. On the other hand, you can't help everybody. So it's 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 really a tough situation. In a vacuum, it's easy to say. I think in some ways it's good, and in some ways it's bad. I think on the good side, I think you look through. I mean, I look through previews, and you look at the back half of that catalog, and there's some of that stuff in there. And I know they're probably, you know, the creators. I mean, obviously, a they're they're putting their heart and soul and everything else in, into making these books, and b they're probably trying to grasp on to some sort of niche audience or niche market. But you know, you look at some of it, and you're like, some of this stuff, some of this stuff needs to go. And then you look at some of the other stuff that you know is kind of hanging them on by a thread, and it's good quality stuff, and and the folks that are putting it out are you know are pimping it out like crazy, and they're you know they're they're doing their best, and you know if they I think if they could just hold on long enough, they could they can gain enough momentum, and you know and make it into something. And I think then when you come in and you have Diamond, you know say, oops, you know your your order is only twenty three hundred bucks instead of twenty five hundred bucks. You know we're not going to carry you this month. I think that's a really, you know, that's a, a tough thing. You know, I, I think having one distributor is, is a bad thing in general. I think, you know, one company basically being the gatekeeper to what what the market, you know, should see is, is, is not a good thing. I mean, I think the market will, you know, I believe in, I'm, I'm kind of a free market guy in general. So, I, you know, I think the market to some degree will determine, you know, what's good and what's bad and what people want and what they don't want. And, you know, when one company acts as the, as the you know gatekeeper to to say what people you know what they think people should want and not want is not a good thing. But I think with you know companies like DCBS, like Heroes Corner, with you know like uh, Ken was saying, Indie uh, Indie Planet, you know being able to having these other outlets is a good thing. Um, I think the internet, you know, again, the internet is a great marketing tool. You know, if you, you know you got to hustle it and you got to get yourself out there. But you know, aver- depending on the sites, advertising is you know fairly cheap. Um, you know, there's tons of podcasts out there, you know, that, you know, have audiences that, you know, folks can go on and do interviews and, and try and, you know, push their stuff out there and get exposure. There, you know, there's been several books just by listening, you know, my, you know, I've kind of got into, you know, the comic podcasting by listening to, you know, shows like CGS and Uncanny Xcast and Raging Bullets and those guys. And, you know, there's a lot of books I've heard about on those shows that I would have never, you know, just kind of perusing through the catalog and, in previews that I probably would have stopped to pick up, but listening to people come on their shows and talk about the books and the passion and the story, you know, it's given me a second look or to, you know, check them out online and, and, and see what's going on. So yeah, I kind of had a brief conversation at Comic Palooza with Scott Chitwood from Red Five again, kind of talking about that. And he said, you know, for them, it's, it's been okay. They have a pretty good relationship with Diamond and, it, and it's worked out all right for them, but you know, even even for them, you know, it's, it's you know they have to look at things and and whatnot. And yeah, you know, I I don't have any exact numbers, so I mean, this, don't don't take the accuracy of this with uh, as as gospel. But I remember when this first was mentioned, it was brought up that hugely successful books like Mouse Guard or Strangers in Paradise wouldn't their first issue would not make these minimums. Their second issue probably would not have made these minimums, and they they wouldn't they wouldn't have survived. Under the under these new guidelines, you know, but they were had the chance and they found their audience and they're they're huge, hugely successful, and had these 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 uh, policies been in place at Diamond, then we we wouldn't have them today. They'd be a completely different landscape, you know, because those two tiles wouldn't have been what they are. So I mean, trying to you, you want to say yeah, the market will will determine what's what's going to survive, but they got to be given the chance. 
And like those, those are two books, just two examples where they were. Do you guys remember, I don't know if you guys were getting comics in the, I guess it was the mid, early mid nineties back when diamond diamond was a key distributor, but they weren't the only one. And capital city was the other big one. And then Marvel bought capital and tried to market their, they basically said, we're, we own, and I'm, uh, hopefully I'm not getting the, the details too too fuzzy, but what it amounted to, as I recall, was Marvel was going to go exclusive with Capital City and put their stuff only with Capital City, and then and then you know Diamond had their stuff, and there was a couple other distributors that that sold a little bit of everything and were indie, and they totally misinterpreted and and misconstrued and weren't able to handle the demand on the Marvel side, and they totally flopped it. And it pretty much died as soon as it began. And I remember going to the shop at the time, and those guys were so pissed because Marvel totally screwed them over, and books were way late because they couldn't get the they just didn't have the logistics in place to handle volume of that nature and get books out. And then capital collapsed, and then boom, it all went to Diamond. And ever since then, we've been you know stuck with this you know monopoly for the most part of Diamond, and they've gobbled everything else up. So. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys were, like I said, around getting books then and kind of remember all mm-hmm. that chaos. I've heard the story, but no. Yeah, yeah, I totally remember that. And I remember back when Capital was a distributor, too. Yeah. And it, it seemed like that um, the indie, uh, <clears throat> indie comic, I mean, when there wasn't a cap like that, I mean, a lot of people forget there were a lot of indie comics in the 80s. I mean, you had the whole first comics. You had Capital had their own comics line of Capital Comics, uh, Comico. Uh, now comics, um, there are um, continuity comics, and I think that having more than one distributor really engendered that because there were more choices and there were more chances um, to you know to see those new comics. While we have a second here, why don't we catch up on some voicemails that uh, we've had sitting around? Yeah, you know, I'm, I got one, and I'm going to play this one kind of well, kind of a nice segue between the last topic and going into the voicemail. So let me play one for this one first. Hey, dudes, this is Sean. I just wanted to take a second out to say uh, thank you uh, for plugging uh, PKD Media Presents number one on your podcast uh, during the month of March. I really appreciate it. Uh, it truly, truly means a lot to me that you guys are so supportive of what we're trying to do and everything. And uh, mucho props to you. I will make sure that I send a copy or two for you guys to give away. Um, you know, during one of your giveaways. But I'm very thankful. Um, you know, and I always continue and always will appreciate the support and the wonderful job that all of you do on the podcast. I just listened to the Blade, Blade Runner episode today. I've never seen Blade Runner in my life, ever, ever. And I should be ashamed. I actually, my geek card should be tossed and burned. But I'm actually going to get the uh, Blu-ray uh, Blade Runner that has all the different versions on it because I want to be able just to enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, also... Uh, for those that didn't get to go to uh, Steel City Con um, during uh, last weekend, um, well, let's see, what weekend was that? Well, the weekend of the 24th. Um, it was a wonderful time. Uh, the uh, Gypsy Cafe Geek Throwdown on Friday night was just spectacular. Um, you know, Jim Dietz and, 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 and his wife, uh, Melanie, they were wonderful people. Um, you know, it's a wonderful place to eat, wonderful food. I mean, the most scrumptiousescent food you will ever taste in your entire life. And, it was, you know, it's just like, you know, the geek crowd, the roller derby crowd, <laughs> the cosplay crowd. It's just a bunch of people together just having a good time and just, you know, just, you know, not having a care in the world. And it was just lovely. And the Legion of Dudes represented hardcore at the uh, Steel City Con with a trivia contest. 
And also, you know, they had mad support for the uh, Still City Demons, uh, who whooped up on that Long Island team uh, last month or the month before. Ugh. I think they're still hurting by that loss. But, uh, but no, in all seriousness, um, thank you guys. Uh, thank you for the Geek Throwdown. Um, you know, thank you for being at Still City Con. Um, to the to the dudes, thank you for a wonderful podcast, and thank you for making me pull Kingdom Come back out from my bookshelf and reading it again. So y'all keep doing what y'all do, and I will talk to you soon. Later. Awesome. Sean, Sean, your check is in the mail, my friend. <laughs> you know, when I was I was playing that voicemail getting it ready for the show and, and I didn't have a chance to pull out my uh, my Will Ferrell soundbite. Scrum trelescent. <laughs> yes. I think we're gonna put that on the menu now. You know, Sean Pryor quotes Scrum Trelescent. <laughs> But uh, if you guys are interested to uh, hear what uh, Sean was talking about, we recorded a live episode at the Geek Throwdown uh, interviewing mo- many of the people that were there. So if you want to check that out on the HHWLOD website, it's available for download. It was, it was a great time. Everybody seemed to enjoy themselves. And thanks a lot, Sean. I think there was a little alcohol involved in that, uh, <laughs> that particular excursion. That would be uh, episode Perhaps. Number, that would be episode thirty six <laughs> for those uh, playing at home. Episode Legion of Dudes episode thirty six to Steel City Con two thousand nine. And that was Very a good, good that was a good show. I was sorry, I was so sorry that I missed out on it and uh, it looks like that my fall con plans won't have, be happening at all because apparently every Sunday in the fall I have to be at midget football now, so I will not be going to any cons apparently. Maybe for a Saturday only here and there, but that's it. What else did he have in there? Did the midgets but, like that you call them midgets on their football? Oh, excuse me, pee wee football. My oh, my, oh, my, my daughter good. is uh, going to be a cheerleader, and and my I got voluntold to do their website, so now I've got to go and take pictures and do all kind of fun stuff there. So, <laughs> I believe it's middle little people now. <laughs> <laughs> vertically challenged. You know, I was I was at a uh, uh, of all things a butterfly museum today with my kids, and uh, the, the the woman up there was saying, "Here's a butterfly. It's from New Guinea," and I'm like, "Isn't that a little?" Like non PC is wouldn't it be like new Italians. <laughs> it's Italian. It's Italian. Thank you. Play another voicemail. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, how's it going? This is Ken from uh, over at FlickPodcast.com. Just wanted to give uh, a vocal verbal kudos. Uh, just finished listening to the Blade Runner breakdown. Uh, that you guys did uh, a little while ago. And uh, let me just tell you, man, nailed it right on the head. It was uh, great to listen to, a lot of uh, of really good information, and just really continues to further my appreciation of what is already a tremendous film. Um, I'm glad to hear that some of you guys have gotten to experience this on the big screen since the... um, uh, the director's cuts, uh, excuse me, the final cut release that uh, that just came around. Uh, a total wonderful experience, and, uh, and I'm glad you guys uh, love that film as much as as much as we do over at Flick. And uh, great job, man! Keep them coming, and uh, all the best to you. Take care. Very cool. Yeah, we've got a lot of good feedback on that Blade Runner show. Those guys at Flick do they do what we do to graphic novels or, or trades. They do it to a movie every show. It's a really great podcast. And they they reached out to us when we were doing The Watchmen. And uh, he emailed and said, you know, what a great job he thought we did. And, and um, we had thanked him at that time. But um, we thank him again. And they have a great show. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear from them. And, and hearing that we did a good job on a movie like that from those guys is a huge compliment. 
What's their website, John, for that podcast? Is it I Flick. will get back. I want to say Flick.com, but I'm going to pull it up. I think he said at the top of the voicemail, it's uh, Flickpodcast.com. I think he's what he said. So I'm going to check that right now. Yep. Intermission music. Flickpodcast.com. And they have, he has a really cool uh, image of himself with the 007 tuxedo pointing the gun at the screen in the swirl. Nice. <laughs> nice. Very it's good. His, you know, it's his, uh, Is it a Photoshop, his face, picture. or did he actually pose for it? No, he posed for it. Oh, wow. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice work. Yeah, he's seriously, he's, he's a geek. So that's cool. So cool. thanks again. And um, you know, anybody that enjoys the movie stuff that we did with Terminator and Blade Runner, you know, check out flickpodcast.com, definitely. It's right along those lines. And check out our next movie uh, episode, Steel Magnolias. <laughs> we got one more, Ken? Yeah, we got one more. Let's hear from an old friend who we haven't played in a while. Good evening, gentlemen. This is Dan. Just finished listening to your uh, your episode, part two of New Frontier. Um, I'm really enjoying what you guys are doing with it. Uh, Ian Wog, I mean, it's with difficult, difficult work from the Legion, to be expected, but... Um, it's a uh, it's work I'm not really that familiar with. Um, so I am actually going to make a request of you gentlemen, and hopefully this is really enough that you guys can do this um, when you post part three in two weeks. Um, but I do not own uh, New Frontier. I have seen the animated movie, uh, and I enjoyed it. I, I've only seen it once, and that was when it, when it first came out, and I watched it, and I just haven't had a chance to, to go back and rewatch it. But I did enjoy it. I uh, don't remember it too clearly, but what I'm what I was wondering if you guys could do is uh, uh, you guys have piqued my interest in buying uh, the book New Frontier. So what I was wondering if you guys could do is uh, just I guess tell me the big differences between just the regular trade paperback and the Absolute Edition. What I mean, what's diff- what is in the uh, the Absolute that's not in the trade? And if we can get by with just the trade, because I don't really uh, want to spend a huge amount of money on this, obviously. Um, and then, uh, so there's that. And then, I guess, just in case I haven't had a chance to do it, if you guys could just maybe throw out prices and where to get it, even though I'm pretty sure that you're going to suggest getting it from um, InStockTrades.com. But, uh, yeah, if you guys could just go to the differences between the two, that would be phenomenal. All right, gentlemen, I thank you for your work, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. All right. Thanks to Dan. He's a regular caller, and like we said, we don't, we don't do this enough. You know, we, we had two comments about Blade Runner, which I guess we did in, what, March? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so it's been uh, – it's, it's overdue. But, um, Russ, you've kind of touched on the differences, right? There's some added stuff and things that are in a yeah. different order in the absolute. Yeah, yeah there – I think – you know, like with Kingdom Come, we pointed out the one, you know, the epilogue, but that was in the trades. That wasn't in, you know, in the trades and the absolute. I read it once, New Frontier, I read it once in the regular issues, and then I had the absolute. And there's probably there's probably a good 10 or 12 pages that have been added for the, for the absolute specifically. And then, yeah, some things have been kind of flip-flopped on the order. It's just, I know it's pricey, but, and I know we said this on the show 50 times, but by the absolute, it's worth, if you have any interest in the story, if you enjoy it to any degree, the absolute presentation is phenomenal and it's well worth it. Um, the online guys, you know, DCBS or Harris Corner or whatever, they, they've got it. You can probably still squeak in this month, maybe, as you're listening to the show. It was solicited in the, 
and they made previews. It's I think seventy five dollars retail. Depending on the discount, you'll probably be able to get it for forty, forty five or so. I know when InStock Trades has it on their site after it, it comes out it'll be thirty seven percent off or whatever, but it's just so worth it. The the added material in the back is just awesome. It's just my favorite absolute of all the absolutes. Isn't the new version of the Absolute also going to include the new Frontier Special that came out as well, the one-shot? I heard that, and if it does, I'm going to be really sad. <laughs> um, I think I read that somewhere, or maybe I just dreamt it. I don't know. That'd be nice. I think, dude, there's one story in that one in that special that really fits in well with the um, with the the story, the main story. The rest of it is kind of you know, ancillary and, and isn't as clean, but there's the one story that Darwin Cook actually does, he writes and draws, that has to do with um, Superman, Batman, and uh, Robin, and, it, and it, it fleshes things out with those characters a lot more and would be really, um, it would fit in nicely, but... Uh, the uh, solicitation copy does, it just says, uh, featuring new story pages, detailed annotations, alternate sequences, and an extensive gallery, et cetera, et cetera. I don't see anything here that specifically says that that, that one shot... Yeah, so I think that's just the added pages from the previous, but yeah, I'd be interested to find that out. Yeah, I don't know what other new story pages exist other than that one shot. Well, I think just the new story, yeah. Other unless, than the unless, new story it's, unless it's new beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Or they could be rehashing the original solicit, you know. Yeah, the, I, I, I don't know, volume, maybe, yeah, it's true. Where the new pages are, the you know, 10 or 12 pages that we talked about being added to the Right, right, it could, it, the that, that, and that could be. So does that uh, clean out our voicemail file for right now? There's there's more in there, but uh, that's that's the three we're playing today. <laughs> that's all that's all I got queued up. Uh, Fair enough. Well, there's a lot in there from uh, there's more from Dan because Dan does call us every week, you know, but we don't always get a chance to play them. But I played those other two. Yes, they were both about Blade Runner, but there was enough in Sean's that beyond Blade Runner that he was worth worth hearing. Plus, uh, Sean's a good guy, and we like hearing from him. Absolutely, Sean is on my short list of you know. Once I get around to meeting all of you dudes in person, <laughs> Sean right. is. Uh, Sean is definitely the next guy on the list in our geek world. Yep. Yeah, he's a he's a great. We got to meet him at Super Show, and he's just a great guy. We hung out quite a bit. He's right between Megan Fox and Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he'd like to be between yeah, Megan Fox. That's and a hell of a place to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that must that must be the end, that must be the end of the show. Then I hear. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> oh gosh, I guess so. All right, Jimbo, bring it home. Okay, uh, thanks for joining us on this week, uh, our, our, our uh, roundtable discussion version of Legion of Deeds. If you would like to uh, find out more about us and check out some of our further episodes and our brother podcast, The Half Hour Wasted with the wonderful Brad and Frank and Bill, please check us out at hhwlod.com or legionofdudes.com if you can't remember that. Please be uh, sending us your emails uh, to comments at legionofdudes.com. And would like to, uh, I'd like to personally shout out my LCS, uh, Phantom of the Attic. They're up for the, uh, the Eisner Spirit of Retail Award. So I just wanted to shout out Wayne and Tom and all those guys out there. Good luck, guys. I hope you win it. Please, uh, feel, as I said, feel, oh, and feel free to join us on our forum on the comicforums.com. Under the Half Hour Wasted and Legion of Dudes forum, and please uh, leave you know comments, suggestions, uh, cookie recipes, um, plans for world domination, whatever you want to send us. Drop it on off. And we get a voicemail yep. to five one six four six eight seven nine one two. Give us a buzz. We'll get around to it. 
We'll get everybody. Cool. I, I can't recommend everybody. Please, please, please go to the website. We work hard, meaning Ken works real hard on keeping it lined up and <laughs> keeping it straight. But we put a lot of time and effort into it. We've got a lot of cool stuff there. We've got a lot of exclusive content, you can call it, on the website, a lot of audio blogs, a lot of regular blogs. All of our episodes are there. All the half-hour wasted episodes and the Legion of Dudes episodes are all there. So we're pretty proud of it. Like I said, we put a lot of work into that site. So please, please, please check it out. And also, we'll continue with the shameless pandering. Please leave us some iTunes reviews. Um, you know, we, we, we switched our feed over, so you know, change things up a little bit. So we'd appreciate any and all iTunes reviews that you could give us to help bump us up and get the word out to more folks looking for comics podcasts because we, we're pretty proud of what we do here and, and uh, we'd like to share it with as many people as possible. And while we're groveling, if you regularly buy things from Amazon, why not visit Amazon through the link on the HHWLOD website? Doesn't cost you anything extra, and they'll throw a couple of dimes our way to pay for the treadmills and the mice and the things that keep things running around here. Absolutely. As uh, Russ said, we have a lot of exclusive content on the site as well. Uh, we recently posted an interview I did with uh, cartoonist and animator Nina Paley. You might want to check that out. And I know that after the big uh, uh, video game E3 convention this week, we're going to be uh, posting an audio blog all about that. So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. Very good. And that about wraps it up. Thanks a lot for listening, and thanks a lot, guys, for being doodly. Have a good night. Good night. Good night.